Chat EAF, the anime feminist podcast. Today is the third episode of our watch along of the underappreciated gem Deno Coil, covering episodes 14 to 20. My name is Caitlin, and I'm a writer and editor for Anime Feminist, as well as writing for The Daily Dot and my own blog, I Have a Heroin Problem. I'm joined today by Vry and Peter. I'm Vry Kaiser. I'm an editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. Uh, I'm also a freelancer all over the web. If you go to my Twitter, at WriterVry, and look at my pinned post, you can find a list of things that I do in that thread. And if you want to check out the other podcast I co-host, it's at TrashPod. And I'm Peter Phobian. I'm an Associate Features Editor at Crunchyroll and a contributor and editor at Anime Feminist. All right. So we have gone past the midpoint of Deno Coil. And the pop, the plot has kicked into high gear from the zero to 40, pretty much. This is what's always so frustrating to me about two core shows, because I know that this will all, this happens. This almost always happens. It's how anime works, but it's such a tall barrier to entry. Like that's so many hours if, if it's not initially really your jam, even in that episodic format. I know, but 13 episodes would have been so compressed. Uh-huh. Oh, no, yeah, it's not It's not the anime's fault. I'm just old, and there's so much anime. I don't know. Even if I'm into the anime, like, uh, plenty of Trigger, most of their stuff is too core, and I'm, like, into it. I like Trigger shows. I'm sorry. How dare you? Yeah, I apologize. But I'm, like, into it, but then I know that in the second half is when the actual plot's going to be revealed. So uh, even if I'm enjoying myself, I sort of question the um utility of everything i'm watching i always am wondering is this going to be relevant is like are they just kind of feeding me red herrings are some of these characters that i'm meeting that i like just gonna kind of end up becoming sidelined in the second half so i I get what you're saying well but that yeah that's kind of what i'm saying is that uh i think when anime fans wreck longer shows they're coming from the place where they're looking at it from the whole thing but when you wreck uh, recommend it to a prospective viewer they're seeing it from the other side of i have to go through x and y to get to this meteor stuff and if x and y wasn't your jam and that's what kept you from checking out the show in the first place it doesn't really help to be told but it gets good later yeah i mean i like it when shows i like two core shows it might be partially because i did start watching anime when that was the norm but i also i like it when a narrative has time to breathe and when it has time to do some like maybe episodic stuff that's not like a hundred percent plot necessary but it builds the world and it builds the characters which i think is one of the strengths of like some of those episodes of deno coil they're not could you have deno coil without the beard episode no I, i i think and in the best case scenario i think it does work something out like this show and then in the worst case scenario it's it's gundam double o which just farts around for its entire first half wasn't gundam double o four core no it was only two and it had a tragic ending i mean it also like you know two cores is the difference between like yuri kuma arashi yeah which we mentioned which, last time and and penguin drum which which was i think a much Strong, which I think was a stronger story taken on, like, taken at face value. I do think some of my thoughts regarding the Beard episode were kind of validated in the second half, though, because it appears there's much more to this digital space than first met mm-hmm. the eye uh, with all this ghost stuff happening now. So I I kind of 
was thinking at the end that it was treated in a very lighthearted manner. We discussed this a little bit, how they, they essentially had discovered sentient life that was very small and entirely digital. Um, but since they're kids, they don't really appreciate that, I guess. And uh, now that we know maybe there are ghosts in the digital world, that kind of takes on a new meaning. I don't know if it would have been better mm-hmm. served to being after those episodes, like if they'd kind of threaded in the the plot relevant with the fluff, or if you could even do that. But um, it definitely changes it in retrospect. The Beard episode is interesting in hindsight because I I really liked that episode. It's kind of my preferred mood of episodic stories that have like darker thematic underpinnings going on or or sadder ones mm-hmm. but in high uh you know now that this section we watched for for this episode is a little bit more it hasn't abandoned those themes that's not fair it's still working with them uh but it the mode of how it's telling its story for this stretch of episodes is very much it's very different yeah it's a ghost story with technological trappings as opposed to like a meditation on ai and and that kind of stuff that it was more directly in like episodes 11 to 13. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it starts dealing with like, um, you know, urban legend and um, sort of uh, the idea of like liminal spaces. We'll get into that in a little bit. Oh, um, it's just interest. Like, I'm not mad at it. It's just very interesting to me when shows that have ideas that they want to tell can't really they're not really so self-reliant that they push forward into some entirely new thing and they kind of so they kind of put them over a completely different genre of storytelling type as in terms of like form and function like the episodes that are that are ghost stories or escape the monster stories in this one but with the technology mm-hmm. and the previous things that have been established in the series applied to that i i I don't think it's bad. I just think it's really interesting to watch how the pieces kind of move and come together and sometimes jar against each other. Right. And I mean, it was kind of hinted at before when they were doing the um, the school camping sort of uh, episode when they were talking about urban legends and uh, Miss Michiko, Michiko-san. So it's not like totally out of nowhere, but it, it definitely was like a very like rapid shift from kids playing around with... Um, you know, playing around with technology to like these, like this, like crazy imagery and souls being separated from bodies and uh, that sort of stuff. <laughs> it escalated quickly. <laughs> I-, I will say that the moments that this show goes into horror are some of my favorite. Like I, I, I think it's kind of muted color palette makes really interesting use of greens and sort of sickly blues in a way that I find really visually appealing and well done. Yeah, you sound more enthused about this uh, this part of the show now, Brad. <laughs> I, I'm, so, I'm sorry, like I said, I knew that it was going to get good, but that first half is just not the kind of thing I usually watch. So, and I think it's interesting how in this second half right now, the Hacker Club has kind of disappeared. Like, I don't know if Daichi was, like, even in these episodes. Yeah, I don't. I know I saw him, but he didn't do anything of any significance, I don't believe. Like, after all that time we spent talking about him. Yeah, he's he's in the recap episode, which is the first one from this mm-hmm. batch, but otherwise, nope. How did you guys feel about that recap episode? I know that it's a thing, and I respect that, that the whole gotcha with shows that are half recap, 
half imp- really important plot thing has is at least as old as Utena, if not older. But when I first watched Utena, I skipped the recap episode, and <laughs> that was very important. Yes, that episode is quite important, and, and this one is all it pretty much pulls the same thing. And like, I respect that they're trying; they're they're doing about the best thing you can do with a recap episode is give it to a minor character and have them make color commentary. So like. They're doing the best they can, but it's still a recap episode and it's kind of boring. I mean, it was kind of interesting seeing how Fumie is at home. Mm-hmm. She- yeah, Fumie hasn't gotten to do much either. I was surprised how much she was kind of sidelined along with the... I, I mean, the, the hacker club disappearing is no surprise to me. They seemed kind of just like, I don't know, the little rascals. And when things got serious, they were probably going to sort of fade out. Um, Daichi's a bit more of a surprise, but I mean, if he's just trying to kind of like set the age tone, that makes sense as his character, but Fumie seemed a lot more important and she didn't do much in all this. Well, she's sort of cut from the same cloth as the hacker club though, right? Like, I mean, she's, she's Yasuko's friend. And so she's been there like during the times of crisis and she's been important in that way, but she uh, treats the, the technology like, you know, as toys and i mean she doesn't she's not in the mentality of it being toys but like you know she's a kid and play is important for kids whereas for you know like hurricane and isako like this is something this is not play um this is something that has to do with the lives of people that they love so it makes sense that fumie is there but she's not like a key player yeah, she feels like a smart choice to kind of keep a bridge to that lighter tone and have somebody to break up the more intense moments, but she's she's not quite so overtly comedic as the hacker. She's club. also she's also a skeptic, right? She's like this does not make any sense to her that 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 the consequences of certain things going wrong with the glasses could be so dire. Like she's talking about the plesiosaur like it was just a random corrupted program right like why are we so emotional about it even though she also cried normally i i find the kind of paper like you know the the cardboard straw man skeptic character to be a little exhausting but with fumie it's tied in well enough to these aspects of childishness to her character that i that i think it sells it better than most no i think so like and it's it's it is she like she is not built up as a childish skeptic from the start just her relationship with the technology is very different mm-hmm. yeah honestly the scene where um where, where she's advocating taking off the glasses is is really well done and tense like i was impressed by that scene a lot right and i think <laughs> i'm gonna make a blazing hot take here have you guys watched scotchman crowd no uh the first season yeah, so like I yeah, I haven't seen the second season. I watched the first season and they didn't really care for it. And one of the things that bothered me about it was the mentality of, oh, just turn it off. If it's getting to be too much, just turn it off and walk away while these real life things are happening and while people are posting their personal information online. And I thought that was a very like naive approach in this time where just turning it off has been proven not to work and so i think the parallel is that uh like there's a parallel there that fumie says just turn it off but just turning it off is not an option like and just turning it off can be dangerous yeah it's the augmented reality stuff is is interesting and it's a neat concept as far as technology 
ingrained into mundane everyday stuff but what i'm really impressed with uh getting into these later episodes is how well the show predicts the emotional reality of Mm -hmm. you know ever-present social media right you know like you said with the whole just turn it off thing turn off twitter and go outside is a not unpopular refrain and sometimes you do need a break from the internet but also it's just not something you can live your life divorced from nowadays right and i mean there's a couple of different levels right like um turn off twitter and go outside is like it's something that i can do some through but a lot of my livelihood has come to me through twitter right i wouldn't be here talking to you guys without twitter um i wouldn't be writing for the daily dot like i wouldn't be making freelance the freelance money that is financing my wedding in a year through like without twitter and then there's like there's the people who have run a fat like who have run a foul of uh certain parts of twitter of like you know zoe quinn and anita sarkeesian who like you tell them just turn it off and it's like no it follows me just turning it off doesn't do anything so like i could think of an inter- interpretation of like the illegals that are invading yasuko's home as like randos <laughs> yeah i'm not <laughs> like i'm not sure it's quite that developed to be a solid sell but i feel yeah it's not a reading that I have put a lot of it literally just occurred to me but like they're coming into her home and like threatening things that she holds dear and they the usual barriers are not working I think I think it could make it worse I mean if I had enough time to, <laughs> to, to you can fan wank this theory into plausibility <laughs> yeah I mean not a theory is just you know an interesting parallel it's a, a possible reading uh-huh. even though Twitter didn't or barely existed when Daniel Coyle came out. Social media as we know it barely came out, like barely existed. I mean, certainly the ghosts have are are very strongly now um reminiscent of that feeling of, you know, posthumous social media presences. Yeah, absolutely. Like like you guys were talking about the last episode about how eSpace has no history, but now it's sort of getting into the ramifications of how eSpace and real and and real space interact. Like the part where Yasuko is running up the gates to the shrine or running up the steps to the shrine and she almost like gets seriously injured because the stairs are broken in real life but in the eSpace stairs are uh intact. And then she's in danger like if she takes off her glasses while she's in that old eSpace like she is in putting herself at risk. Yeah, it's it's not quite like it's it's not safely confined it's not history in the way that is you know recognized and controlled and understood it's remnants it's like pieced together remnants that nobody understands which give rise to urban legends which are dangerous because they're half truths and half forgotten things that people are poking around at when they don't understand them right and i mean this it's sort of like like, there's the old-fashioned urban legends, which are, like, basically ghost stories. And then there's, like, urban legends that are the sort of stuff that, like, Snope, Snopes uh, disproves that have be- have sort of morphed into the terrifying force that is fake news, right? But yeah, I think Deno Coil definitely plays with that sort of, that concept of um, liminal spaces and the spaces between things um, and portals, right? Like urban urban legends are between the truth and falsehood, the Tory gates that are such a like major m- visual motif in the show are b- 
basically gateways between the human world and the spirit world. Uh, adolescence is a liminal space, right? You're between childhood and adulthood. Hitting very hard on that last summer thing. Yeah, that last summer of elementary school. Deno Coil definitely like works a lot in that space. Is do junior high and and high school have like full summer terms off? No. So the Japanese school year is different from the school year in the US. Their school year starts in April. And I'm not sure exactly like what a normal school schedule would look like, but it's like a break between terms as opposed to like, you know, being off for the season. So re- so it, it is in effect the last summer vacation for reals, not just as children. I think because I think it is like you get days off and if you need to do summer classes, you do you can do summer classes because it's really hot in the summer in Japan. And they don't and like they have like like a summer school, which is like a like a, a fun sort of thing, I think, in elementary school, like a summer camp sort of thing. But I'm not like I'm not totally sure exactly how it is. So yeah. Either way, point point stands that this is still a, a cusp of of major change in expectations of them as far as their school mm-hmm. life. I mean, it seems like uh, they start working earlier because uh, I always forget the aunt's name, but she's a high schooler and, and basically has a full time job on top of that. I mean, that's I don't think that's a <laughs> realistic thing. She's a she's a she's an anime teenager with a full time yeah. job yeah. who probably lives on her own and high schooler slash digital FBI agent. I looked it up. Summer break is a month, late July to late August, so like the hottest part of the Japanese summer. Do you guys have any thoughts about like the whole like concept of like of the motifs and the liminal spaces and that sort of stuff? So I'm not just sort of rambling on about it because I've had like four years to think about the show. No, no, it's that that's that's why you're here. That's your role. To have too many feelings. Somebody always has to have too many feelings. Too many feelings and also thought out common like commentary slash articles that they've been wanting to write for a long time and just never got around to it. I hope it's doing something with the whole uh, digital afterlife idea besides just sort of mm-hmm. presenting it as something that exists. Uh, they don't haven't really gone into too much of the history as to how the whole thing was developed in the first place. It's just, I, I guess, they're kids and they've grown up with it, so it's something they've mm-hmm. sort of accepted. I'm guessing this kind of goes into something to do with, well, you know, everybody has like a, a digital profile um so maybe when people pass away their digital profiles especially if they're not in areas that are overwritten kind of just right aren't deleted and then Mm -hmm. that's how they end up as ghosts i'm just kind of a a digital imprint of who they are yeah i'm guessing so i i kind of am wondering how they're planning to tie this all into the stairway with the markets that leads into I guess heaven. <laughs> it's very spirited away, like imagery, isn't it? Yeah, that I, I was definitely thinking of that. So I would, didn't want her to eat that apple because usually that means you're stuck there. It's mm-hmm. very. Uh, that's a kind of a Greek thing too. Yeah, don't so, eat the fey food. Don't do it. Yeah, don't eat the pomegranate. Yeah, I'm just sort of wondering whether there's any sort of underlying structure or thought behind this idea, or if they just sort of magically wanted the digital world to have its own afterlife. 
oh no i'm not sure i don't remember that clearly like i don't remember a lot of the like finer details yeah i am curious as to whether um with with isako and her uh brother whether this is because this is a show for for younger audiences and in some ways you want to be more gentle and more hopeful because because it's good to give children hope because before they head into the hellscape that is adulthood um Mm. but but part of me is wondering if her arc is headed in the same direction as like a place further than the universe where you have this character who is dead but preserved in some liminal space and and part of the ultimate journey for the uh for the active character isn't get this other person back it's accept and let them go right because that's kind of what we're seeing with hurricane right mm-hmm. yeah with him for sure yeah thank you for segueing segueing so beautifully into my next listed discussion point Vry. thank you thank you i'm very subtle <laughs> thank you for not have like leaving that to me and then i of course proceed to ruin the illusion of organic discussion by <laughs> pointing it out so no but like there were a lot of parallels between isako and hurricane in this episode and sort of what what their goals are. It's kind of interesting how much this stretch of episodes transforms the series into this meditation on being young and grieving. Um, I, I ended up thinking a lot while watching these. Um, when I was about their age, um, in seventh grade or so, there there was a girl who was very suddenly and tragically killed. Being around that kind of weird space where you you are maybe on the outsides of watching people who were close to this accident and dealing with the fact that you're young and don't really know how to process the idea of death yet and what a weird thing that is. And so it... Man, I still think death is a, death is a weird thing. Well, yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> it, yes, it is a weird and terrible thing. We can't go down that existential road. Just that, that idea of how how I have observed people about this age processing grief uh it feels like the show understands that surprisingly well i know what you're talking about actually i was just watching uh i think to be hero one's kind of doing something with that too where uh it's not the girl's parents the the heroine but her her it's her friend's parents i guess there's some sort of social unrest in rioting and his uh, dad is killed and his mom's hit in the head and uh she like doesn't really she's not really present uh mentally after that and uh, just watching the way it kind of affects him and the way he tries to kind of bury those feelings and still act positive affects her own optimism because she sort of wonders if things are, if just life is kind of a downhill slide uh, from when you're happy and a kid and you don't know about this kind of stuff. So I think what you kind of mean, like even if it doesn't affect you directly, uh, when you can you can see kind of like how that those sort of events radiate out through social groups or people that you know. And uh, you don't really know how to interact with it or if you should be doing anything or what it means for you. Honestly, uh, Harakhan is, is, he's interesting in this batch of episodes, but he still feels the most like an anime character, if that makes sense. Like, in the series with, with the fantastic, you know, hyper, hyper active and competent techno grandma, Harakhan is the one who feels somehow the most distant from the more grounded emotions of the show sometimes. Because he's yeah. Because sometimes there are those really sad, vulnerable moments, like uh, when uh, when Tako takes his glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but also sometimes he's a sad anime boy who refuses to communicate in ways that don't feel like 
I am a child dealing poorly with grief and feel more like, well, the plot needs this to happen now. Yeah, well, I... Because I thought it was interesting how, like... So, like, he he and Isako have, like, very similar goals, right? Like, they're both sort of pursuing this person who they, who they lost to the other side. Um, even if Isako's uh, person is ostensibly alive, he's basically in a vegetative state. Uh, Hurricane Kana was, um, Kana was, her physical body is killed, but he's so, like, obsessed with, like, finding her and finding answers for what exactly happened at that crossroads. Crossroads, and crossroads is another liminal space. You see, you know, there's a lot of crosswalk imagery around it. You saw the, the spirit, or the illegal, leading Kyoko across the, um, a, you know across the cross uh, like a crosswalk they're you know they're both searching for answers for these people who are very like these loved ones who are very similar and very different and another thing that's very similar and very different is like sort of their social lives right like isako is very like blatant like i don't need friends i don't want friends and like you know la- like in the episode where she was stuck in the room with yasako she's like I don't want friends. Friends, like, you have to, like, be part of the group and you all have to agree on everything. And, like, I'd rather be by myself to pursue my own goals. And Hurricane ostensibly has friends. He has Fumie and he has Yasako, but he does not, like, put his trust in them to to help him and to stand with him during this time. Like, when he even lies, right? Like... He's like, I'm over Kana. I don't, I don't care anymore. And then he goes and he seeks out Isako to like help him go to the other side to pursue Yasako. Yeah, he's going through the motions of socialization, but he's, in effect, he's really isolating himself just as effectively as as Isako is. But since he's since he's going through the motions, it doesn't ping anyone else's radar that like he's not really connecting to people and that he is basically depressed. Very depressed. Um, not not dealing with his grief well. And it, it is interesting and kind of nice that they gendered it that way. That Isako is the one who's overtly rejected, you know, friendship and, and socialization, where Haraken is still going along to get along while suffering. Like, those, that feels like a very feminine gendered set of behaviors. Right. Like, women are the one ones who turn to each other, even if it's just superficially. And Isako hangs out with mostly with the boys, and Harakin hangs out with the girls. There, there, there's definitely some interesting gender dynamics lurking. Like it, it, like not like as a way of like making a statement, but like as just sort of like it almost feels like someone was writing the script and it's like, what if we res- reverse these expectations? Which is nice sometimes, you know. I, I, I like a good overtly we uh overtly making a statement series but like this kind of thing is good too where it's just kind of quietly attempting to set a new status quo also speaking tangentially about Hurricane, uh the end of episode was it episode 20 i feel like that the was certainly i'm happy for yasako and that's that whole the the whole crush subplot i have reached this stage of I don't care, you're 12, but I'm happy that Yasuko has reached a state where she feels confident in herself and is at peace with her emotions. And she's so brave and I believe in her. She's a very good girl. She is. Even if Isako thinks that she's uh, 
not totally sincere. I'm surprised that didn't come back at all. I mean, there's still time. Oh. There's six episodes left, mm-hmm. but especially since yep. there's so much about the four, four, two, three, you know, Isako's brother that hasn't been explored yet. But like, you know what? I'll tell you. It. I mean, it does come back. Like, Deno Coil is a fairly is a very solidly crafted show. It doesn't really leave pl- loose plot threads like that. Yay. Um, Not like RA9 and Detroit Become Human. <laughs> I, I I approve of it becoming just a thing throughout this watch along that we take a little bit of time to dunk on David Cage. I mean... I'm always here to dunk on David Cage. He seems like he sucks. Oh, he definitely does. Yeah. No question. I'm sad how he didn't get enough retweets to challenge David Cage to a cage match. Uh, <laughs> did Cage actually say he'd fight people? No, but no, you're thinking said of if you got a certain number. But I yeah. also... Which is, you know, that we could call, that could be the title of the show. Oh, internet. <laughs> Deno Coil. Oh, internet. Really depressing kind of way. <laughs> this episode is about, how social, is about how social media makes it really easy to obsess over the dead and not move on with your life. I mean, yeah. You know, the dead people have Facebook profiles still dead like no one's going through and deleting dead people's twitters you know the the dead do not die on the internet i do think it was interesting that the whole yasako i like coming in and having to learn all about all this stuff that's going on in the city um all these she's like totally unfamiliar with all these concepts but then she's probably one of the people most strongly involved in the plot because of her weird amnesia interaction with 4423 who is probably Isako's brother. I don't know. Yon-yon-nisan. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe that I didn't notice that pun. The Nissan. secret pun. Yeah. That wasn't actually secret. Yeah. It, it wasn't a secret. You just didn't notice. <laughs> I'm kind of wondering where where that all... I think like that's kind of the biggest... Uh, like I'm not sure whether or how it's necessary yet. Unless, like I don't know, they try to do some sort of huge shark jump like... Yasuko is uh, Isako's, or what would, what would she be? Uh, like a reincarnation type, type, digital reincarnation of was it Kana or some something like that? No, but, but they it, might be related. Yeah, but her 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 kind of like uh, what what would it be? Subliminal involvement in the story before she even showed up. Um, I'm I'm kind of wondering where they're going with that since I don't really feel like it's yet become necessary to any of these interactions. Plus the fact that she. Can I mean, talk everybody to knows everybody else on the internet, right? I guess so. You never know who's gonna know who. Who's gonna know who? Like finding out that a guy, like a guy who I used to hang out with on IRC, suddenly has ten thousand Twitter followers, many of whom I know, right? Like, you you never know whose past is gonna tangle with whose past when it's not constrained by geography. That's or true. that a Gundam Wing fanfic writer my wife used to read turned out to grow up to be an author who was passing herself off falsely as a bisexual single father oh, oh! interesting choice that's fun the romance author world is wild y'all yeah it seems like like book twitter is even wilder than annie twitter i played league of legends for a long time with a guy who turned out to be the person who made the cook and buy the book little john remix <laughs> So I was playing with a celebrity the whole time. I had no idea. One of the greatest YouTube videos of all time. <laughs> uh, something I should have seen coming, I'll say, and I can't believe I didn't, but also I'm very surprised it's in here, is the is the Imago thing. 
uh, because this did not strike me as the kind of story that had, like, special, you know, special by birth right. storytelling to it. Like, it's 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 been up till now very much a story about how anybody, you know, very meritorious almost, you know, anybody can learn to do this, anybody who is sufficiently curious can figure this stuff out. But now there's this element of, of Yasuko being a special and probably Isako as well, because we've seen her use her eye. We're leading up to that. So that's an interesting direction to choose to go with the show. Uh, I, I am awaiting judgment until I see what they do with it. Right. Well, you know, it's like, like Dempa is just has a special ability of like being able to hear. That's true. Uh, Similar to Yasuko. Yeah. I'm not sure if I buy the idea that some people have like different like electric fields, but I have known people who who their who electronics around them just like fuck up, you know. If someone gets too close to a computer and that computer crashes, I don't know. I don't know, man. Technology's weird, and the human body is weird. It's just such an interesting type of story to choose when. When also telling a story about technology. Mm-hmm. How, how did you tie that to the Imago thing exactly? Because the Imago is the whole, uh, what is it, the, the ideal form, the whole like shadows on the wall thing, right? Uh, because there's that very ominous converse, uh, phone conversation that I think uh, Tomiko's co-worker has. Or or no, the, the little kid uh, that, that helps um, Yasuko find the train station mentions mentions her being um, an Imago child, possibly. Or that is a phrase that gets dropped during this round of episodes. Hmm, like an indigo child? God, 90s. So, had they established their own, like, terminology in that case? Because I, I just know Imago, I think it was from, it's a philosophical concept of an ideal, it's like an idealized mental image, right? Are they are they using it in a different term to mean, like, an idealized uh, cyber well Mental it could be a construct it could be a pun on ko like imago is this one thing is referring to this part specific term like already established term but uh ko can become can become go like tamago uh, the concept is i can't remember if it originated with demian but it was really heavily used in demian the same text that inspired utana so you know but i don't know i don't i i, I don't know that terminology from before this show so yeah i don't know but i think just speaking relevantly to this show if it's an idea of of images and mirror images then i'm increasingly wondering if the two yukos are somehow related or obviously they're connected through um isako's brother but the fact that they have similar names the fact that their nicknames are plays on ko the fact that they are both specials in some way there's some kind of something right. going on with that, and the fact uh, that Yasuko... it's young, it's Jungian psychology, of course. Uh, of course, is Imago. Anime loves Jungian psychology. Yeah, uh, but it, it is really weird that I guess just the the entire use of that term within the anime kind of threw me for a loop because they seem to really be trying. Like a lot of anime will really get into like uh, philosophical or scientific concepts like that, and kind of like uh, with varying amounts of success ruminate on like what how they possibly like they, they tie it into the story somehow and they they uh, maybe are trying to explore that idea or they just use that idea so that people can more easily relate to whatever weird concept they're trying to show off in the story right uh but this one had been like kind of 
child level intelligence and i don't know just like throwing in a, a Jungian term uh when they've pretty much been trying to avoid any sort of like really analytical language to describe any of these digital concepts it it's kind of out of place right i mean they've certainly set up aside of the name thing as characters um isako and yasako are already pretty clearly foils because you've got isako who is this very brusque overtly um you know prickly character but has shown these you know she's devoted to her brother and she saved kyoko um and then you have yasako who goes along to get along and is this very gentle caring person but has these hints that you know maybe she was a bully at her old school so they're 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 very much mirror images of each other in that way with their inner versus outer personalities and how they interact with the world which is interesting and well seated. Like I can see all the roots that they've done with this, and I'm in. I'm really interested to see where those two characters' relationship go. That was the wrong tenses for everything. I don't care. It's late. Mm-hmm. All right. I'd. Uh, I, I. I guess we do kind of get like a double face thing. If the if the recap episode, at least the recap portion of the recap episode, was good for one thing, it kind of showed that. I mean, we knew Fumie was not exactly uh, the the Yasuko type. Just sort of not try to avoid conflict, but. She did come across as a uh, kind of cruel to her younger brother. I mean, she's a, not an unusual sort of older sister. Yeah, she seems like pretty standard older sibling, honestly. Yeah. Do do well, either of you have siblings? I, I yeah, do, yeah. but not in this kind of relationship. They moved out when I was really little, so I had an more older like sister. So I, I definitely know for sure. You have you had an older what? I have an uh, older sister. Yeah. <laughs> Was it was she like Fumie? I have a scar on my forehead. So oh, yeah. so yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so so did that did that relationship resonate with you? Um, I I mean not to that degree, but I definitely I mean I don't even I didn't really even think she was. I, I mean it nothing it didn't seem out of the ordinary for me. It just seemed like uh it contrasted against even Ayasko like argues with her uh, younger sister a lot, but um she doesn't pick on her or anything she just gets an- right. annoyed with her and calls like calls her out and uh doesn't maybe always treat her nicely um but with fumie it was like uh kind of a something she takes pleasure in <laughs> I, I don't think it's unusual but uh, when contrasted with it you can it, and the fact that we hadn't seen fumie uh, um portrayed to that degree uh it definitely kind of stood out it, it changed your perception of her well, there's also a way smaller gap between Fumie and her younger brother and um, Yasuko and, and uh, Kyoko, whereas yeah. Yasuko is basically a de facto caretaker for her little sister, as opposed to being, you know, I have authority over you, but also you are in the sphere of my emotional state as well, enough to fight back. Yeah. So it's it's a totally different kind of sibling dynamic. Yeah. True. I don't know, if, like, uh, Kyoko does do things that specifically uh annoy yasuko though like following her around and repeatedly calling mm-hmm. things poop um but i think uh fumie's younger brother sort of stays out of her business mostly and but and she kind of comes well, he to does him. team up with her arch enemies um i mean he's he's in the group yeah but uh he never seems to have taken any sort of direct actions against her besides planning to one day sue her i don't trust him Okay. And the, the and and the version of events that he told us. Yeah. I mean, he was he was pretty honest, I think. Uh at least in regards to what did he say? This is unrelated, but I like girls like that. 
to pretty much every single girl he introduced. <sighs> every time this show deals with, like, the attraction elements of puberty, I just want to die. Doesn't strike true. I, I just, it feels like, yeah, that's obviously, a, you know, a, an important part of puberty for a lot of kids. And just it just feels so vestigial to the story being told here. And it's yeah. not very seamlessly integrated. So it always, it, it always stands out really loudly and like a, a weird note True. whenever it comes up the only real plot relevant one has been uh yasuko and i kind of felt like that that one kind of came out of nowhere for me personally. i'm very proud of her emotional arc and i don't <laughs> care about the actual relationship at all uh, okay just that she she made it <laughs> she did it even I'm if so they proud don't of her. that's so hard to say when you're that age yeah <laughs> She's a good girl. But what what did he say? Something. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I don't actually remember what he said because by the time I finished was when the sleep deprivation was starting. Well, he his yeah. mouth moves, but you don't hear anything because he's being pulled back oh, to his real body. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um. He's being converted into light. And she has to run back on her own, and that was a real that was a real good episode. Like when this when this show kind of is able to get away from the mundane settings, it. It's really beautiful. It is. It's unfortunate that it is the only show that Mitsuo Itso has ever directed. I know, but... Well, he has another one coming. Oh, that's exciting. Soon? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just announced recently. Cool. It's, it involves space. Oh. Hmm. I like space. So, I am going to take the discussion and not even bother trying to do a smooth segue because we are... I'm hitting hitting my mental limit. We're getting close to the hour mark, and there is definitely still something that I want to talk about. Go on. Which is the sort of um, multi-generational women uh, aspect that this show kind of does. Yeah. Um, because, like, you don't, like, you tend to get the multi-generational thing with, I think, with female characters more, just because, like, you have like the sort of archetype, like the threefold archetype, the mother, the maiden, the crone, mm-hmm. which I don't think the show like specifically went out of its way to do, but it's still like an image that's very like resonant across a lot of different media um, and stories and mythologies and cultures, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that the way Deno Coyle uses it once again, intentionally or not, um, but the way the imagery comes up is kind of interesting because, like, you have Megaba, who's, like, the crone, obviously. Um, but, like, Yasuko's mother isn't really involved. I would say, like, like Tamako is closer to the mother figure in this, right? Very much for this like, stretch, especially. I mean, she's still, like, she's still high school age, but, like, she has had experiences. She is, she is fucked up in similar ways to how they're fucking up with trying to open the gate and accidentally unleashing these horrible things and then you know you have like you know and Yasuko and Isako and Fumi and they're like you know the maidens they're young they're experiencing things for the first time they're sort of fumbling around trying to figure things out I think Megaba's a really interesting character like obviously she has to be sidelined for a lot of the story just because of how coming of age narratives work, but I feel like the glimpses of we get to see of her being serious and and help you know helpful without kind of 
messing with the kids are are genuinely interesting yeah and i mean she's sort of like she appears to offer her wisdom when it's needed right like that's sort of who she is Mm -hmm. like and that's sort of the uh archetypal figure um and she's also like she's a trickster um but she also like she understands how these things work at a fundamental level Mm -hmm. um she understands the technology she doesn't just know how to apply it she knows the building blocks of it so like while she cannot always directly enter interfere she can give them the knowledge that they need to handle it right there's a sense of secrecy without it being Mm -hmm. deliberately obtuse in that annoying way that sometimes mentor figures Mm -hmm. are just really obnoxious And like Tom, like Tomiko is like she's kind of an antagonistic figure, um, but she is like kind of like the mother. She was sort of interacting with the technology when it was first becoming accessible in its like present form, and she's also like she's associated with like the Sachis and the Kyuchans. Like she has like the n- sort of nurturing f- figure associated with these like kind of semi-alive seeming things. I mean, like, plus she really, really cares about uh, Harakan. She really, really does. She really loves him and, like, you can tell, like, even though she's, like, not that much older than him, she's, like, five years older than him that, like, she was probably, when he was born, like, she's like, this is my nephew. This is my nephew and I'm going to take care of him. Um, It remains a weird thing to me that they chose to make her a high school student and not, like, in her 20s which is so clearly like what the character student. seems like it should be yeah. yeah i don't know i think it it i think it has to do with like just sort of the tech like the age of the technology and that way she can drive she drives a motorcycle instead of a car because you can get a motorcycle license at 16 um but you can't get a driver's license in japan until you're 18 and, and i'm sure part of it is contributing to that idea that you know you have megaba and but other than that, there's just this wasteland of, as far as people who are over 18 don't exist after a certain point. I mean, there's, like, there's the, the dads. Like, the dads are there. Like, <laughs> there's the florist lady. She had glasses. Well, I mean, like, there are adults around, but they're not, they're not like, important or helpful so much. They're, they're teachers. That's true. That's true. Miss Maiko, who really, like, wants to be... Who is a, she seems like she is a young teacher and she really wants to be a good teacher who cares about her students and is involved. I hope she got over but that she, hangover. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she is not really active in these episodes anyway. I, I, I do think that's an active part of what made these episodes so good is that it just dialed in on uh, its female characters who are all really mm-hmm. good and interesting and have interesting and varied dynamics. I don't hate Daichi, and I, I really kind of like Denpa, and, but and Haraken exists to be a damsel, and it's whatever. But the female characters are where it's at. No, they're really this that. This is why I wanted to do this show, right? <laughs> because it's got such a great female cast, and it's like even if like you know we're not talking about it, framing it within the within gender relations, like it's still us talking about a story about women doing things and that's really cool Mm -hmm. but yeah so i i really thought like the multi-generational aspect was uh 
is really like i think it's really important to the show especially in a story about technology where women have been so formative in the history of technology and from you know typewriters and hand coding all the way up through the invention of video games but their contributions to that history tend to be overlooked mm-hmm. you know sierra was partially founded by a woman helped create graphical interfaces from text adventures you plebs uh i always really enjoyed that and just yeah they're di- like they're different ages have them interacting with the technology differently and their it affects their relationships with the technology mm-hmm. all right so next episode is the finale do we have any predictions? There will probably be feelings. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to shoot for the moon here and say there is no real world. It's all digital. And that's why they their digital profiles uh, can be interacted with by these ghosts. It's all just a recording of people that used to exist but don't exist anymore. Whenever you talk about the digital world, Peter, I get the Digimon theme song stuck in my head. Oh, if you can come like, up with something like for me to call American it. the bad American one. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Did you just say bad American one? That, that, yes, it's terrible. That opening was awesome. That and the One Piece rap are some of the greatest music ever written by oh man. Oh my god. Go sit down. Yeah. That's what it All is. Alright, what... Peter, you're banned. You're blocked. Good. That's why <laughs> I'm so hard on Haraken. It's because he's like a water down Kenny Tujoji, who I love with all my heart. I think actually talking about this show in relation to Digimon could be interesting, but that is not my... Illegals uh, are Digimon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, time to wrap this one up. That is my... Dis- this, this, that is not my discussion to have, because I have actually watched very little Digimon. The, <sighs> the ghosts of Digimon. I had Pokemon brand loyalty. Alright, um, yeah. are there... Do you guys have any like stray thoughts? Anything... That you wanted to bring up that didn't really like come up. I think that's all I got. I, I think I'll probably have a lot to say about whichever way they kind of develop this story into when they do their big reveals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for now, uh, color me interested. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Anything? Yeah, I think I, I got out most of my predictions here and there throughout the episode. So I'm just interested to see how they uh, they wrap up the emotional arcs mostly. Okay. All right, so that's our episode. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, please check out our website at animefeminist.com. And if you really like us, you can become a patron on Patreon. Um, even a dollar or even a dollar a month adds up, um, and it really, really does help. Um, you can also follow our Twitter at animefeminist, our Facebook at animefem, and our Tumblr at animefeminist. So. Next week, we'll be talking about the rest of the show, episodes 21 to 26. Thanks, Fam. And remember, go outside, but like, you know, take Twitter with you. We all do it. Bye.